catechism of just learning what what the church believes and what the church has taught for uh, these thousands of years. So I'm going to ask the question and you guys will repeat or you guys will recite the answers. Once again, the catechism is a fantastic way for us as the church family to learn what it is that uh, the church historically has taught and has believed. So the question is, uh, I think we have it on the screen. Yep. What is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Very good. You guys may have a seat. So we're going to try doing this every week as we as a church family, uh, we desire to grow. And I know there's different Sunday school classes and there's different fellowships and different Bible studies. But hopefully this will be one way that we as a church family will grow together, learn together and encourage one another over the course of this year. A couple announcements I want to highlight uh, and then we're going to pray and then get into God's word. In your bulletins, you'll see uh, we actually are going to have a membership class that's going to be starting next Sunday morning. So if you're interested in being a member, if you don't know what it is to be a member of this church or you've been coming to this church for a while and you're already a believer and uh, you you want to say, this is my church family. I want to commit to coming to this church. I want to uh, pour my life into this church as well. Uh, Let any of the staff know and we'll give you more information about the membership class. Uh, You'll also notice that the snow retreat registration is up. And in addition, uh, if you skip down two more, there's going to be a fundraiser, a movie night fundraiser next Sunday, right? Next Sunday. Um, And so that's actually, uh, you could, there should be a, there should be something in your, in your bulletin. Is there a flyer in the bulletin? No. Okay. There's a flyer outside, I think, right? Okay. So if you want more information, you could go there and grab Uh, grab more information about that. And finally, the last thing that I just want to highlight, every Wednesday there is a group of people that come and we pray for the needs of this church. Uh, If you have specific needs that you would like us to pray for you about, please let me know. And then we as a church family, we can pray for one another. That's another aspect of what it means to be a family. Uh, But also, if you feel that, hey, you know, I want to pray. I want to talk with God our Father about uh, the prayer requests of the, the church body I want to come. You are more than welcome. We meet in in this uh, building on Wednesday night at uh, 8 o'clock. We meet in the uh, Old Chinese Sanctuary. So if you come at 8, you could join and you could pray with us for the needs of the church and needs of individuals in the church. Let me pray. If you need a Bible, go ahead, raise your hand, and someone will give you a Bible. But let me pray, uh, and we could get started. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you are our Heavenly Father, that you have given us a treasure that will not rust, will not be uh, eaten away. You've given us eternal life, you've given us a hope, and you've given us a family to call our very own. God, would you cause our hearts to be soft towards your word? Would your spirit that is at work in us, that is a seal of redemption, would your spirit Speak to us clearly, loudly, encourage, administer, convict, challenge, whatever ways that you see fit. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 
So we're going through a, a new series. We, we kind of uh, kicked it off last week. Uh, the, the, the theme of the year is we are family. And so uh, we're going through a series on the book of Ephesians. And over the next several weeks, several months, we are going to be studying the book of Ephesians. So if just, you know, in your own quiet times, in your own Bible reading, you want to go through the book of Ephesians, I highly encourage it. The book of Ephesians is uh, one of the perhaps the richest book in the, in the New Testament, a book that I personally really love. Uh, and one of the reasons that we're going through the book of Ephesians is because the letter to the church in Ephesus was written by Paul, and, and it just has so much heart about what the church family should look like. It was a uh, letter that was written with love to a church that Paul had started, a church that Paul had spent considerable time at, and it was a, it was a church that, that Paul saw as, as a church family, and he was just encouraging them and loving them as they grow and as they transform into a spiritual family. And so over the next several months, my hope, my prayer, my goal for us as a church family is that we grow as a church family in, in all the various aspects that that look like. So for some of you guys who were here last week, uh, we, we did something a little bit different. I'm curious, uh, you guys can let me know later what you thought about it. But last week we, we practiced communion as a family. So it was a little bit different, right? We broke up into small groups. We shared bread. We prayed with one another. And as I was passing around the elements, it, it was just really heartwarming for me because I, I see people talking with people that maybe they've never had a conversation with before. And, and, and they were sharing a part of their life. They're sharing their prayer requests. And then they were praying with each other. And as they're taking the elements, they realized we share a common union, right? In, in, in our faith, in our, in, in our Father Jesus, God and, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that binds us together. And as I was passing around the bread and juice, I, I realized this is a picture of what our church family can and will look like, right? where everyone is welcome and no one is left behind. And so that's what our hope is as we go through the book of Ephesians. A little background about uh, the book of Ephesians. It, it's, um, it, it's kind of an interesting letter. Uh, the, the city of Ephesus, by the time that Paul wrote this letter, the city of Ephesus uh, was a major uh, center of commerce. It's actually situated right on this river, uh, the Caister River. So if you look, you see where Rome is. Uh, that, that's really the, the main center of commerce, the politics, the military. And if they wanted to go into Asia Minor, which we call Turkey, but if they wanted to go into Asia Minor, they would have to go through Ephesus. There's a river that goes uh, right along uh, the Aegean Sea, which is right there uh, in between Ephesus and Athens. And then they would go up into the area of Asia Minor. It's a major port, a major uh, transportation hub and so farmers from Asia Minor would bring their goods down and uh, commerce would come in through Ephesus. So Ephesus was a tremendously important city at the time that Paul wrote. Uh, it, because it was so important is also extremely rich. And Ephesus, if you know nothing else about Ephesus, you may know that it housed one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. I was trying to find a, a picture of it, but unfortunately all you see are some columns. It's been destroyed over the centuries. Uh, but the, the temple to Diana, or the temple to Artemis, was considered one of the greatest ancient wonders of the world. And people would come, and they would, they would worship there, they would bring money there, they would store their treasures there, and it was known as the Bank of Asia, right? And so uh, Ephesus was not only a strong uh, commercial area, it was a strong religious area, uh, and it was also uh, had a lot of Roman um, influence. Ephesus was a capital 
of Asia Minor for Rome to rule. So uh, the governor that was sent from Rome would, had a headquarter in Ephesus, and so in Ephesus he would uh, declare uh, cases, whether they were guilty or not, and Ephesus became not only a, a commercial, religious, but a civil uh, epicenter as well. And there is one kind of interesting thing. We know that Paul wrote this letter to uh, the church in Ephesus, or we know that Paul wrote this letter. In most of our Bibles, it will say to the church in Ephesus. But some of the earliest manuscripts, and this is interesting because most of our Bibles will say to the church in Ephesus, but some of our earliest manuscripts that we have don't have, doesn't have the, 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 the phrase to the church in Ephesus. And the, the theory goes that uh, because F Ephesians, the, the church in Ephesus, was such a uh, dear church to Paul, it's strange that Paul doesn't address people individually as he does in other letters. He doesn't uh, give people's name and say, say hi to so-and-so. Say, oh, remember this guy? Oh, he ha gave me such a good time. And it doesn't have any of that personal affection. So the theory is that Paul wrote this letter, and the letter was intended to be circulated throughout all of Asia Minor. So if you know in, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, John writes uh, about these seven churches. And so in Asia, there were uh, seven churches in this, in this region. And so he basically went clockwise, starting with Ephesus. The idea of F, uh, the book of Ephesians is that Paul wrote this letter. It was meant to be read, it was meant to be studied, and then is meant to be passed on. But because Ephesus was the major city of the region, the name Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, got kind of stuck to the, the letter. And so, as all that to say, Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Ephesus and perhaps the church beyond, but definitely to you and to me today as we study God's word. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start actually in verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This really is the theme of the entire book of Ephesians, that God has blessed his followers with every spiritual blessing. God has blessed his followers with every spiritual blessing. And it's kind of amazing because Paul's writing to this commercial center of the world, right? As you're listening as a first century uh, Ephesian, you're, you're, you're thinking, wow, these guys are so rich. Wow, did you see how shiny that guy's chariot was? Did you, he had like six horses on it, you know, and you're, you're walking around and you're looking, wow, he has a pretty toga. That, that's like a limited edition toga. And you're thinking, all these guys are so wealthy. And all these guys are so, so blessed, it seems. Paul begins this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he says, in the midst of all this tremendous wealth, in the midst of all this tremendous prosperity, of being a special Roman citizen, Christians, you have been blessed by God with every single spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And really, that's, a, that, that, that's the theme of the book. Christian, you are blessed. Do you know that you are blessed? 
uh, a while back, there, there was, I, I don't know, maybe perhaps now, sometimes you hear um, people uh, humble brag, they say, oh, blessed life, or hashtag blessed, right? And you're like, wow, these guys went on a Tahiti vacation, you know, hashtag blessed. You're like, well, I'm not blessed like them, or, oh, look, I got a brand new Ferrari, it's only my third one, oh, ha- I'm, you know, God has blessed me. You're like, how come I'm not blessed like that? I, I want God to bless me like that. What about me, God? There's a story of a guy, a famous uh, newspaper man, extremely well-off, William Randolph Hearst. Any of you guys go to Hearst Castle? Okay, so some of you guys. Uh, If you've been to Hearst Castle, you will know just uh, the tremendous wealth that he has. But uh, he is extremely wealthy, and he also had a a penchant for uh, fantastic art. And so he would travel, or he would send people to travel around the world to search for uh, very specific artworks. And so it's mo- many of it is actually at the Hearst Castle. On one occasion, he learned of an artwork that he said, I, I must have this. I need to have this artwork. So he got his emissary and said, I, I want you to go and look all over. I don't care how much it costs. We're, we're going to get this. I, I need this piece. And so his, uh, his employee went around the world, and after several months of investigating, he came back to uh, William Hurst, and he said, you know, I have uh, good news. He's like, did you find the art piece? I did, I did indeed. I, I found the art piece. Well, good. Uh, oh, how much does it cost? He's like, well, you're, you're not going to believe this. This can cost you nothing. William Hurst is like, wow, well, you need a bonus. You, you, good, good job. He's like, well, how come it's going to cost nothing? He's like, you know, the truth is it actually you already own it. It's in one of your warehouses, and you just didn't realize it. You own it, and all you need to do is take it out of your warehouse and hang it up wherever you want. A lot of times, we as Christians, we are a little bit like William Hurst. We, we have all this tremendous blessing in our lives, and we're thinking, well, how come I'm not more blessed? How come I don't have more, 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 and more, and more, and more, and more of this? Paul says, don't you know, Christian, that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place? It's yours. It's already given to you. You don't have to go search for it. You don't have to go look for it. It's already yours. And what specifically is this blessing? What specifically is Paul talking about when he talks about this blessing? Well, actually, the entire book lists off several blessings, but one that we're going to be focused on, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Now, that's a very important phrase, that in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And what Paul here is saying is the blessing that you and I have received from God, the blessing that that, that just is so profound that angels did not even know about this, is that you have been chosen before the foundation of the world. We've been blessed to be chosen. Now, in Christianese, for those of you who like theology, you'll know that this term that, that Paul here is describing is a, a term that we, we say is, is election. Uh, and throughout this passage, Paul talks about God elects us. It's an election that God chooses before 
the foundation of the world. The election is kind of weird because sometimes we think of election, we think of presidential election. We all kind of vote and somebody gets elected. Or maybe your gubernatorial election or maybe a school election. When the Bible talks about election, it's a little bit different. Uh, Theologian Wayne Grudem says, election is an act of God before creation. This is before the world began. This is from the foundation of the world. That's what Paul writes. Before creation in which God chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but, also, uh, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. And what election means is, it, it doesn't, some people think, well, you know, God looks down the, the corridor of time and he knows who's going to choose him, he knows who's going to accept him, so he elects him. No, th- it's not based on anything that we do. God chooses before the foundation of the world, those who will be his. Not because of, of my good deeds, not because of my good works, not because I'm a pretty good person, but because God chooses us. Jesus says something similar, you do not choose me, but I chose you, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit will abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The idea of election is God chooses us, not based on what we do, what we have done, nor what we will do, but because of God's sovereign will. Now, I know I threw a lot of big words out there, but suffice it to say, God chooses us not because of who we are. Because if it was based on who I am, and I think I'm a pretty good person, right, I would be lost. Now, there's a couple objections to election, and we'll continue on in our in our uh, study of Ephesians, the first objection to election is, well, that's not fair. Like, uh, God, God's choosing something. God's not choosing it. How's that fair, God? I mean, if anything I know about God is God should be fair. So the reality here is it's not fair if we think of God in terms of human fairness. Right? It's not fair if we think, oh, yeah, everybody needs a trophy. Everybody needs to you know, be... Uh, have a prize. But when we sin as humans, and we've all sinned, that's what scripture teaches, when we sin as humans, God owes us nothing. Right? God, if, if a person who has been committed, uh, convicted of a crime, and he admits that he's convicted, this, he's committed this crime, and he says, but how come you don't pardon me? That's not fair. It's like, well, no. That's not what you deserve. Justice is what we deserve. If we, if we want God to be just, then we would all go to hell. Right? Grace is always and ever undeserved. If we deserved it, it would not be called grace. And so, right, in our minds we're thinking, well, that's not fair. If we want fairness, if we want justice, we'd all be in trouble. Because if we are sinners, and Scripture tells us that every single one of us, we are sinners. If there is any sin in you, then we deserve eternal separation from God. The fact that God chooses some is an act of grace. And if God uh, was required to save everyone, it would no longer be grace. Another objection is, well, okay, so maybe God's gracious, but not just. But what about this? God's not loving. And, you know, we all know Scripture says, well, God is love and we should love. And how is God loving when God says, well, I choose you, but I don't choose you? And you guys, and you know, the one I, I don't choose, he's actually a better person and he, you know, is nicer and does kinder things. 
God's not loving uh, if we believe in this idea of election. And, and, and here's something that I, I think it maybe illustrates the, the idea that God, uh, that actually election is in fact demonstrating God's love. If I told my wife, Sumiko, I love you, Sumiko, but I love all women the same. How do you think that would make Sumiko feel? It's like, well, <laughs> that's nice if I wanted sister wives, but I don't. And, and you know, uh, I want to be loved in a very special, specific way. It's like, no, 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 that's not fair. I'm going to love all women the same as I love you. It's like, well, then in, case are you, in that case, are you actually loving me? Throughout Scripture, God has chosen people and nations for his specific love. And, and there's no real rhyme or reason except for God's good pleasure. God chose Abraham. Why did he chose Abraham? Right? God, God out of, out of the, all the nations, he chose uh, Israel. Why did he choose Israel? Why did he choose Moses to be the leader? There, there were probably other candidates. Why does he choose them? Why does he pour out his love, his special affection? Right? The fact that God chooses does not mean that he's not loving. In fact, the fact that God chooses to love some actually shows that he is loving. And it's not this general, generic kind of love. And when God chooses us as his specially chosen people, it should cause those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ just to be filled with wonder. And filled with gratitude because God didn't just choose us generically. God chose you specifically. And God says, I love you. And I choose you. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what you're going to do. Not because you're a good evangelist or, or you give a lot of money. I choose you because of my good pleasure. I choose you so that I can love you. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, this opening sentence in Paul should fill our hearts with praise and worship and gratitude and adoration. It should, it should give us identity. You know, the world tells you you're not beautiful. You're not smart. You're not, you're not this. You're not that. You're not rich. You're not powerful. You're, you're all these things. And yet God says, well, I've chosen you, haven't I? I've given you worth. I, I, I'm willing to send my son to die for you. And whatever the world tells you, you know the fact remains that God has chosen you. That God has blessed you and God says you are worth the entire treasures in heaven. You are worth my own son, Jesus Christ. I've chosen you not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you will do. I chose you because I wanted to. It brings me great pleasure because of my deep love for you. And when we think about being chosen by God, it should just cause us to be overwhelmed with his love for us. And it should reorient our life, our direction, our, our conversations, our attitude towards other people. It's not what the world tells us that is important. It's what God has already said. We're chosen by God. Christians, we are so blessed to be chosen by God. But that blessing comes with a purpose. That blessing of being chosen by God is actually for a purpose. And Paul tells us what that purpose is. He continues on in verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
See, God chooses us. God loves us. God says, let me shower my affection on you. Let me tell you how much you're worth to me. Let me just give you my love. But I'm not going to leave you where you are before you came to know me. I'm not going to allow you to continue in your sin and your bitterness and your anger and your lust. I'm not going to allow you to continue to, to bicker with one another and to hate each other and to steal. I've chosen you so that you would experience my love, but I've chosen you for a purpose, and the purpose is so that you will be holy and blameless. Your life will be a reflection of what it means to be set apart for me. Later on, this, uh, Paul writes in chapter 2, for we are his workmanship. He's talking about all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. We're created in Christ Jesus. This is your purpose. This is a purpose statement. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why you're saved. We're not saved so that, oh, you know, I'm going to heaven, good, do whatever I want. I'm not saved so that I could, you know, come to church every Sunday. I'm not saved so that I could, you know, uh, wear a cross. I'm saved so that I could do the good works that God has prepared for me to do. I could walk in them. And when Paul tells us, God has chosen you because God loves you, because God just wants to pour his affection out on you, he also tells us there is a purpose to this choosing, and the purpose is to be holy and blameless. Now, this phrase holy and blameless, actually, the phrase put together uh, should bring to mind the qualifications of an Old Testament sacrifice, the, the idea of something that is sacrificed before God. And in fact, our whole lives really is, uh, Paul tells us, a sacrifice before God. When God chooses you, he says, I want your whole body, I want your whole life. There's nothing that you can withhold from me. Right? A lot of times we think, well, I, now that I'm a Christian, I'm set. I can continue to do whatever I want. I can continue to live however I want. I don't have to worship God. I don't have to follow God. I don't have to reorient my life towards God. But God says, no, present your bodies. Present your minds. Present your hands. Present your tongue. Present your eyes and your feet and your heart. Present every part of yourself to God as a holy sacrifice. When God calls us, when God chooses us, when God elects us, before time began, God says, I want you to know that I will shower my love upon you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be holy and blameless. And the idea here for being holy is we're set apart. Our whole lives are set apart for God. Our whole lives, our whole being, the way we study, the way we talk, the way we eat, the way we, we converse with people, the way we work, the way we recreate. God says, I want that. I don't want anything held back from me. I want that. I want that to be worshipped to me. I want that to be pleasing to me. I want that to accomplish the good works that I have for you. And I don't want the bitterness. I don't want the hatred. I don't want the unforgiveness. I don't want the lust. There should be no place in the Christian life for that. And then now, Paul's not saying, well, you need to be perfect. But he's reminding you, as a Christian, your life is now different. There's a famous... Uh, Christian uh, scholar, uh, Harold Ockengay. He's a founder of Fuller Seminary as well as Gordon Conwell. 
And he, he writes this, and he's a little bit uh, from, a, I mean, he's from a previous generation. The language is a little bit old, but I, I, I think it, it really cuts to the heart. Therefore, the test of our election is the holiness of our lives. And some people say, well, I'm elect. I could do whatever I want. Harold Ockengay says, no. No, you, you really can't. Well, well that, that's not fair because God elects. No, no, no. See, the way it works is you've been chosen by God. Your lives should be holy and blameless. And it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It's this ongoing progression. But the test of our election is the holiness of our lives. Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, all sin, and purify us unto himself a peculiar, a specific people, zealous of good works. We ought not to delude ourselves into believing that we belong to the elect of God if we are not living holy lives before him. The proof of this is that we become holy, that we approximate the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think Harold Ockengay is absolutely right that when we are chosen by God and God puts his Holy Spirit in us, the validation, the proof, the test of our election is the holiness of our lives. If somebody came to you and said, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian too, but I continue to live in sin and it's okay because God has forgiven me and I'm going to go to heaven and that's that. Well, you know what? This is what scripture says. How are you holy and blameless? I mean, do you have any desire to be holy and blameless? Because if you don't, are you, are you really chosen? We are chosen by God to be holy. Paul continues on. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Not only are we blessed to be chosen, not only are we chosen to be, or not only are we blessed to be chosen and to live a holy and pure life, but we are also chosen to be adopted. We are chosen to be adopted. When we're chosen by God, what God says, you know, I, I, I choose you not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you will do, not because of, of any of your good works. I've chosen you because of my own good pleasure. But not just that. When I choose you, I adopt you. I allow you to come into my family. I, I make you my daughter and I make you my son. And now you have a brother, Jesus Christ, the, the, the older brother that you should always have had. And when Paul is talking about this, he, he's talking about this idea in ancient Rome of adoption. There's two aspects to adoption that, that it should just immediately come uh, to mind. The first aspect of adoption is we now have a relational intimacy with a father in heaven. God is not a distant creator. Sometimes we think of God as a distant creator and, you know, uh, he can't be bothered with my needs or he can't be bothered with my concerns. He can't be bothered with, with the hurts going on in my life because he's too big, right? And sometimes we, we think of it in terms of like a corporate structure or a school structure. You know, you get a paper cut at school and you say, oh, I got to tell the principal. <laughs> like, well, the principal doesn't even know your name. Or, oh, hey, you know, I, I can't get my mouse to work. Oh, I got to tell the CEO. It's like, He's not, not really going to listen to you. And sometimes we think of God as this distant creator. He created the entire universe. Right? And this person just broke my heart. I, I don't think I can come to God. But when God says, I adopt you, he says, I am your father. I'm your heavenly father. 
Paul tells us this, and it's a beautiful passage, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This idea of being able to call God, Dad, Daddy, Abba, it's a, it's a profound statement. It is something that never occurred uh, in the Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, the word Father is only used 14 times of God. And a lot of times it's, it's impersonal, right? And a lot of times it's referring to entire nations and not just individuals. God is not called uh, the Father that much in the Old Testament. But when Jesus comes along and he addresses God, he actually, in fact, only addresses God as Father. The only time he doesn't is when he's on the cross, but he's reciting scripture when he says, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? But every time he talks about the Father God, he always says, Father. And, and that's partly why the Jews hated him so much. They're like, who do you think you are? How can you call Yahweh God Daddy? You, you're nuts. That's blasphemy. And yet God says, when I've chosen you, I've chosen you to be my sons, and I want you to call me Daddy. I want you to call me Abba. I want you to have that closeness of that relationship, that access where you could come to me with anything. You could come to me with any hurt. You could come to me with any pain. You could come to me with any concerns you have. You just, you just talk to me and say, Daddy, I'm scared right now. Daddy, I don't know what to do. Daddy, I need help. And the God of the universe, the God that created the world and everything in it, is your daddy and he's listening. Being adopted by God means that we are now a part of God's family, becoming more and more like him. The, aspe the second aspect of adoption is that we actually receive positional intimacy. When you're adopted, uh, not only do you receive an inheritance, and a lot of times that's what we think of you know, in, in ancient times, adoption, you receive an inheritance, but you also receive the title and the position, your status change. You take the position the honor that your father has. Uh, most of us know uh, about uh, Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor, but many of us, they, we don't realize that he's actually not um, related to Julius Caesar. Uh, I mean, he is, but not, not directly. He wasn't his son. He was actually born into somewhat of obscurity, though he was born into a, a very wealthy family. His name was Gaius Octavius, and upon Julius Caesar's death, right before he died, Julius Caesar actually adopted him as his son. And that is how he received the, the position, the title, uh, really the dictatorship of Julius Caesar and became the emperor. And in fact, for the next 200 years, many of the Roman empire, emperors were not direct descendants of the emperor before them. They were adopted to that position. And here Paul reminds us, you've been chosen by God, but you haven't been left as orphans. You have a heavenly father. You have a daddy that loves you. But also you've been put into the family of God. You have the position. You have the inheritance. There is nothing that you can ask that God cannot provide. Right? We who once wanted nothing to do with God, God says, come here. Welcome to the family. Every spiritual blessing is now yours. Every, every treasure that is in heaven is now yours. This inheritance is now yours. The, the eternal security, it's now yours. 
Why? Because you are my son and my daughter. Paul goes on in Romans, the passage we just looked at. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This means we receive the treasure that, that, that God has in store for us, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And what an inheritance worth living for. Sometimes we think, well, I don't know. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to share my faith. It's hard to do the things that God wants me to do. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to love. It's hard to control this tongue. It's hard to curb the lust. It's hard to live a life of purity. But God says, hey, there's a treasure waiting for you. And if you know of this treasure that is waiting for you, it makes life easier. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The reason I bring up this verse is we have to remember this suffering, this present persecution, this present struggle is light, it's momentary, and it allows us to suffer well. It allows us to live well as sons and daughters. Because we know at the end of the day, no matter what comes our way, we have a treasure that is surpasses whatever we endure. Whatever persecutions we have, whatever, whatever effects of sin that tears us away, we know that we have a future with Jesus that is secure. And that all that we suffer today is light and momentary. We're blessed to be chosen. We're chosen to be adopted. And finally... We're adopted to praise God. You and I, we, we're adopted for a purpose also. We're adopted to praise God. And this, oops, this last passage here says, to the praise of his glorious grace. This is all, you know, the, the culmination of everything. You've been chosen. You've been adopted to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved Knowing that we are chosen by God should lead us all to praise God. What a wonderful gift you and I have received. What a wonderful positional transaction we have received. And one distinguishing mark, Paul, uh, Paul reminds us, is if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are chosen by God, if you are adopted into God's family, one of the distinguishing marks is that you should be constantly praising God. You should be constantly telling the world, this is the God I worship. This is the God that has taken me out of my sin. This is the God that has taken me out of the pit. And this is the God who loves me. And you know what? If he could do that with me, he could do that with you. Praise God. This is the God who has lavished mercy and grace on me. This is the God who has taken an enemy and made me a friend. And when we come together, when we sing these songs of praise, you know, it's not something that we do simply because Christians have done this for centuries. It, it, there's a heartfelt expression of gratitude. The, the songs that we sing, the lyrics that we sing, they're, they're true. And, and they, they should express the, 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 the deep love we have for our God. And so we should be singing these praises with enthusiasm and energy. We praise God also when we share the good news with others. You tell somebody, man, have you heard what God has done in my life? You, you know, you saw my life before. 
God changed it. Or, or you know, this is how I, I deal with it. You know, I, I, I deal with the same struggles you deal with, but the difference between me and you is I believe there's a God that is in control of everything. I believe there's a God who loves me. I believe there's a God who has given me a future and a security. We praise God when we share our lives with one another. We praise God also when we encourage one another with who we truly are in Christ. This is an act of praise. When you talk with a fellow believer and they're really struggling and you say, you know what, I hear what you're saying. Can I remind you that you've been chosen by God? That the world is telling you all these things and the world is throwing lies at you. But let me tell you the truth. God absolutely adores you. God absolutely loves you. And, and no matter how much you screw up, because the world keeps on telling you you're a screw up, God says you're mine. We praise God when we, when we sing praises. We praise God when we share the good news with others. We praise God when we encourage others of who God truly is in our lives. And the question, Christians, is are you praising God? A few things to think about as we wrap up. Are you a member of God's family? Are you a member of God's family? We've been talking about the family of God, and really this letter in the entire series is written to Christians. And you may not understand everything there is to know about election, and I don't, certainly I, I don't. I do know that whoever would desire to come to God, God says, welcome. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God says, welcome to the family. If you say, God, you know, my life's a mess and I want you to take control of it, God says, hey, yeah, sure, I'll do that. We call that prayer. We just say, God, take control of my life. I haven't treated you like God, but I want to treat you like God from now on. And it's this starting journey of what it means to be a family of God. And if you want to be a family member of God, just talk with me or any of the pastoral staff, any of our elders, and say, hey, I, I'm just curious to know more. Sometimes, oftentimes, I think we are bombarded with lies from the world. And we need to be reminded of the truth of being chosen by God. We're bombarded with lies that say, well, you're not good enough. And you're not performing well enough. And you're not doing enough. And there are certain truths that we need to remind ourselves. Well, I've been chosen by God. That means I'm loved by God. That means I'm precious to God. That means I am a son and I am a daughter of the God Most High with every spiritual blessing at my disposal. So remind yourself of these truths. And finally, praise God with your singing, with your sharing, with your encouragement of one another. Maybe there's somebody here that you just need to encourage with the right thinking of who God is. Maybe as we come together and as we sing, you know, this is why corporate singing is important. I know this message isn't about singing worship songs. But when we sing corporately and when we sing with energy and when we sing with loud voices, we're reminding one another. Right? God doesn't need to hear our voices when we sing. But when we sing, it's a reminder. It's like somebody else next to you saying, hey, this is what we believe. Right? Can you imagine going to a, a sporting event and nobody makes a noise? Right? Like, that, that doesn't happen. But when we come together, sometimes it's like that. It's like, oh, yeah, God is good. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But we have a responsibility to one another to praise God with energy, with enthusiasm, with might. And we, we, we encourage one another with God's word and we share the good news because God is a good God 
that is in the business of growing his family. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have made us a part of your family, that you have chosen us to be your very own. We know that we are not worthy. We have done nothing uh, to deserve or merit being a part of your family, and yet you do. You you take us and you, you adopt us. You bless us. You are the one who is making us holy. You're the one who is causing us to praise you. So God, would you just do your work in us, drawing us to become more and more like your family. In your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.